Hello everyone and welcome to the Bell Collective podcast. Bell Collective is a community for professional women who want to change stereotypes surrounding female travel and creative choices. And I'm your host, Alina Rudia. Today, my guest is an English travel photographer with a very unusual first name, Annapurna Mallard. In this episode, we will discuss the origins of her first name, talk about solo female travel in India, and the ethical issues with photographing strangers. Anna will share her experience about approaching magazine editors and finding clients, as well as touch the topic of how having children might affect a female photographer's professional life. Hello, Anna! Hello! <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm okay, how are you? I'm pretty well, actually. Yeah, thank you. I'm just wondering, uh, you are now, where are you now? Um, I'm in my home in in Yorkshire, in the north of England. How is the situation over there? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've seen the news. We're not, we're not doing too great in the UK to handle the virus. So we're still in quite a strict lockdown. Yeah, it's... Um, It's frustrating, but it's just, you know, everyone in the world is in the same situation. So it's... I feel really lucky to be in Berlin because we didn't really have such a strict, strict lockdown here. I can imagine that being on a total lockdown where you're not able to leave your home, that that must be really, really harsh. But here it's better and the weather was great, so I cannot complain. But I can imagine yeah. that for someone like you who is traveling all the time, Being at home is probably really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of lucky because in November we moved from Manchester in the city, in the big city, and we're now about 40 minutes outside of Manchester in the countryside and, and moved from a one-bedroom flat to a two-bedroomed house and we have a garden. Oh. So I'm so happy that we made that move before this all happened because like, we can go in the garden and the, the house is bigger and stuff. Whereas if we were in Manchester, it would have been really like clogged in and we, we didn't have any outdoor space at all. How is it actually with you and your jobs? Uh, obviously, you're a travel photographer and probably you don't really have jobs right now or any kind. <laughs> yeah. So the first week of lockdown, I was supposed to be on assignment in on Mallorca. So that obviously was cancelled at the very last minute. And then since then everything's just stopped, shut down. Um, yeah, obviously, I've got no work, no assignment work. And um, yeah, a lot of the clients that I work for um, have lost their jobs. Looking quite difficult going forward as well, that a lot of like my main clients, um, like the whole photography department's kind of been shut down. So yeah, I think travel companies are really suffering and travel magazines and stuff. So it's It's very tricky to kind of see where the, my career might go after this finishes and when will this finish? I don't know. Have you been um, thinking of maybe some other ideas or projects or maybe shifting your focus on new, I don't know, studies or anything you could do uh, if, if this won't, uh, if this restrictions won't be lifted for a while? Yes, yeah, so I actually applied. One of the productive things I've done during lockdown is I applied for a master's degree, um, which I've been accepted into now. So oh, from September, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'll be doing a master's in documentary photography. So oh, amazing! Um, Where is that? Yeah, it's at UAL in in London. Oh, great! Um, it's mm -hmm. a remote course, so it's all online. 
So if my work does resume, it will allow me to work as well. So you would like to do more documentary photography from now on, maybe? Um, I'd like to do a mixture of travel and documentary, but focus on more like long, long-term travel documentary projects mm-hmm. um, rather than like very short, short shoots. Um, and I'd like to focus more on, yeah, doing long, long-term projects with like the, the end goal to produce books, things like that. Oh, great. Um, I just wonder, um, talking about long-term projects, that means that you are planning basically to travel for quite extensive time uh, in the future. Uh, This is how you see your future work, like just living somewhere abroad for a while, uh, while working on a project. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think like uh, living where I am now and then um, if I, so at the moment I'm focusing a lot of my work on India and which I'm sure we'll talk about and going back to India at least once a year so I kind of see that happening in the future and maybe making a, a stronger focus within a topic within India um, mm-hmm. and kind of going back to it again and again to create a larger body of work. Let's talk about India a little bit uh, what <laughs> is so special about it and uh, why do you travel there every every year? I've heard or I've read that it has something to do with your name, that you actually uh, traveled uh, to the region for the first time. So, yeah, your full name is Annapurna, right? Yes, Annapurna, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if you know what it is, but it's... Yes, um, it's a mountain. I've been yeah, there. It's a oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> the range, mountain range in mm-hmm. Nepal, for anyone that doesn't know, and it's got some very famous trekking routes. After Everest, it's kind of the main trekking region in Nepal. Um, and my parents did the Annapurna circuit trek. And uh, I was conceived on the trek. So. Woo, okay. <laughs> so wait a second. So your sister's name is Athena. Is Does it mean yeah. that they um, conceived her in Athens? No, it didn't follow <laughs> like that. My siblings, um, just me, yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be really funny. Or maybe in some Greek restaurant, in the toilet of some Greek restaurant. Oh my god, I shouldn't be talking. I shouldn't be talking about this. This is your parents we're talking about, and your sister. Sorry, I, I will cut it out. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first time I went to to Nepal was to you know go back to the mountain that I was named from, and to see this this area of the world that. You know, all my life, whenever I told anyone my name, they'd go, oh, have you been there? And I'd be like, nope. <laughs> so I wanted to go there. So that was my main aim. So I went there when I, when I just when I graduated, when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to India by myself for, it was about two months, that trip. And then I continued um, to go around Southeast Asia and then um, up to Mongolia and then came back home on the Trans-Siberian Express. So that was like the first trip I did. And that was all folk. Well, that the original plan was to take a one-way ticket to Kathmandu and then to see where where the year took me. So, yeah. And then I think my my fascination with India has been for a lot of my life. I don't really know why I've always been so interested in that region of the world, except for obviously my name. Um, but I studied Buddhism when I was at college. And I think I was really fascinated with Buddhism and with um, the Tibetan situation and um, this Tibetan refugee situation in India. So I really wanted to go and see that. So I, after I'd um, done the, the Annapurna trek, I went to Dharamsala and volunteered with Tibetan refugee charity, mm-hmm. um, where the Dalai Lama lives. And yeah, and then I just, 
over the years I've just been drawn back again and again to go back to India and because there's such a huge array of cultures there and there's so many different landscapes and every area you go to feels like a different country so I'm just constantly drawn back to to see all of the, the different cultures of India. And Yeah, you mentioned that uh, your first trip with 21, you said you were traveling alone. Um, uh, do you travel mostly alone when you go to India? Because from what I've heard, and uh, uh, I myself never traveled to India, I somehow never managed to go. I actually went to Nepal. I tried to do the Annapurna circuit, but um, mm-hmm. I was there with a team of people who were filming And uh, most people in our team got really, really sick. So we didn't do the circuit because they all got like food poisoning for a week. And uh, we were waiting and waiting and then it was too late. So I didn't do it, but we did a little bit of it, like a few days. It was really nice. Uh And I I really would like to uh, come back. But I've never been to India. But I also heard um, that it's quite dangerous for women, especially like if you're a lone woman traveler. Did you feel unsafe anytime you were traveling around the region or anywhere? Is there like a story you can tell us or maybe any advice about traveling alone in India? Um, so I've traveled five times to India now alone and all of those trips have been for several months. I've never really felt unsafe. I, there has been a few situations where I felt a bit uncomfortable, particularly with men staring but I've never been I've never had any sort of you know you always hear about the sexual assaults and things this this never happened to me Um, and I feel generally very safe in India and I think one of the things about India is there's a, a billion people there and you are very very rarely in a situation where you are not seen by other people um so as long as you're obviously not going out at night or walking down I don't know, small alleyways and things, but I wouldn't recommend that in, in Europe either. Um, I, don't feel, I don't feel unsafe. I always feel like people are looking out for me. In some situations, I will, I will draw towards um, standing with women or families, especially on trains. I always try and take the sleeper class, which a lot of travelers would opt for um, the AC class, which is a higher class. But I find in the sleeper class, you get lots of women, lots of families, lots of children. There's lots of activity. People are always looking out for each other. And I don't feel like anything um, unsafe would happen to me in that situation. From what you tell me now, you're still being like precautious and like trying yeah. to, to be safe on your trips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it's common sense. And then also learning as I've traveled there over the years about different ways to make me feel more comfortable um, I can kind of sense when I go into a guest house, is this the kind of guest house I want to stay in? Does this feel like an environment where I'm going to feel comfortable for a few days? And you can kind of gauge that, I think, especially the longer you travel there, you understand which of the guest houses that mm-hmm. that feel best for you. And also, I think it's worth pointing out that when people talk about the the unsafety in India, they're mostly talking about the the region around Delhi. Mm-hmm. And, and India is such a vast country with so many different cultures. And there are places in India where the society is much lineal. So the woman is actually in charge of the household and women have a lot of power. And then there are these, you know, huge areas of culture, which is very Tibetan, where it's a very equal society. And, you know, you see women everywhere as much as you see men and women have, you know, equal positions in jobs and things like that. So I don't think it's not really fair to categorize India as being, you know, this male dominated society where, because that is a, quite a, a small area of India, I think. Um, 
And I think it is Delhi where a lot of people do feel the most unsafe. And I think if anyone is worried, maybe don't go to Delhi at first. <laughs> maybe right. go to these other areas um, mm-hmm. that are much more, um, yeah, gender neutral, I think. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, what we hear a lot uh, is uh, about the big cities. And also, uh, yeah, as mm-hmm. I, again, like as, as you've mentioned, it's like over a billion people living there so obviously there's there are a lot of bad people but also a lot of good people in different cultures yeah. and uh, this is also worth mentioning of course and uh, totally important to talk about because a lot of people probably don't go but I mean like people don't go sometimes like for example I was always afraid to go to India because almost all people I've known uh, they got a food poisoning when they went there yeah. <laughs> I've had food poisoning so many times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the real fear over there is getting the food poisoning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and when you do get food poisoning and you're traveling alone, that's really not fun. And you end up trapped in this hotel room and you can't get any water and you're really reliant on the the people that are running the guest house or like other travelers that are in the guest house to like bring you food and stuff because... You know, you can't leave the toilet and things. So. Oh, God. I got I, I got a food poisoning in Nepal, but only for like a few days. And after that, okay. I was fine. But I think, yeah. I think, and what I've heard of uh, Nepal is still very different in the hygienic, um, cultural hygiene uh, than, um, than in India, that people are still like, the, for example, washing hands much more. I don't know if that's yeah. true, but this is also like, from what I've seen is that it was definitely a very clean where, and I think it's more like the bacteria, which I wasn't used to rather than mm-hmm. some kind of a like bad water, which I drank or anything. But um, yeah, I've heard always like this horrible stories of people almost dying from drinking tap water or from eating salad or, <laughs> so I think this is like <laughs> the thing which basically um, makes me fear going and visiting um, India, any, any region, just because that's what you hear first. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say don't be afraid. And it's, it's a really amazing place um, and especially amazing for photographers. So I think you should, um, you should try and go. <laughs> as a photographer, so you speak English and yeah. um, there are different regions in India. Some regions they do speak English, some they don't. Do you feel yeah. that uh, the language is a barrier when you travel in um, India or any other country where Eng- English is not the common spoken language? How do you usually like connect with people you photograph? Do you ask them? Do you just... Uh, use sign language what is your usual method of connection to uh, the people you photograph yeah I think um, sign language definitely can work um, and just smiling is you know universal you immediately seem less intimidating when you give a big smile to somebody um, and also say hello in the local language uh, in India because it was obviously a British colony there is a higher level of English than people might realize mm-hmm. um, and English in schools and a lot of people do speak English and even if the say I'm photographing like um, an elder sometimes there will be a grandchild who would be able to like translate for us things like that so that is a way to break down barriers Um, sometimes I will have a guide if I'm doing something like trekking and that can really make a big difference especially getting access to um, people that live in remote areas I think a guide can really help it is a barrier for me not to be able to speak the local language. And I have been saying for years that I'm going to learn some Hindi. And mm-hmm. I kept when the lockdown started. I was like, now I'm going to learn Hindi. It's not happened yet, but <laughs> maybe it will. Like gesturing, just um, appearing 
uh, to be somebody that's not intimidating, that's that wants to take a picture for for a reason. That's um, you know, I'm, I'm just really interested in people, and I'm not there to exploit them or to to show them in a way that they don't want to be seen. So, as I think you can easily communicate that with with your actions and the way that you come across to people. For example, if I'm photographing like a religious ceremony, I'll always be as respectful as possible, not try and get in people's way. Um, and I'll also stay a while in, in one situation where I photograph it for maybe a few hours rather than some photographers will just come in five minutes, take as many pictures as they can, appear to be quite rude and then leave. I think having that respect and that real interest in people is um, is the way to get the, the best photos and also to yeah communicate with people in the best way. And uh, how do you usually ask for permission when you photograph or do you sometimes like just try to snap a shot like which like on, on the street? I mean, I mean, it's a quite a yeah. usual ethical question because sometimes street photographers, they say like, of course, I, I would rather still like first get a shot and then probably ask for permission because, you know, then the moment will be gone. But uh, what, what is your uh, usual uh, technique? Uh, do you first shoot, then ask, or you ask and then shoot, or maybe sometimes you don't ask at all? Like, what's, what's the deal? So with portraits, I obviously will always ask. And I think you can see that in my pictures because I always have the engagement of the eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's really important, I think, to get a really strong portrait is to ask permission and to get that um, respect between the photographer and the subject. Um, obviously with street photography, for example, if it's like a situation where I want people walking across a scene or something like that, it's obviously not possible to ask. Generally, it's not like a, it's not a close-up of somebody's face. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it has much of an ethical dilemma not to ask. With things like, like photographing, say, um, festivals or religious services, generally I will like ask somebody that seems to be in charge Um, so that could be like in a monastery, it'd be like the head monk or like um, at like a rural festival, it might be um, a woman who's cooking or somebody that seems to have some authority. And then you ask them, is it okay if I go around and photograph? And they'll say, oh, yes, that's fine. That's, you know, that's not an issue in our culture. You can photograph. And then sometimes if if anybody ever says to me, no, please don't photograph me or like they might wave their hand, I will obviously stop photographing them and then just photograph the rest of the the people that maybe are that are happy with it you should always ask where it's where it's possible and where it feels like that's respectful to do to do so yeah this is this is a good uh, this is what i also follow because um, yeah of course sometimes on the streets you cannot ask people and if you don't concentrate on a particular person at the same time it's always such a dilemma on the streets sometimes you really want to uh, take a shot which looks amazing but then it misrepresents the person because mm-hmm. probably like you know somebody opened their mouth for some reason they were yawning and then you photograph it it looks funny it looks cool it looks very attractive for as, mm-hmm. a, as a photograph but then you know the person looks horrible and if they would see it they wouldn't like it this is why right now all over the world uh, especially in Europe there's always the strict restrictions about like photographing people without them them knowing and uh, I myself I still don't uh, don't have an opinion on it because obviously as a photographer I want to take a great picture but at the same time as a person when somebody photographs me then then what sometimes I'm like outraged and like no don't take my picture or I'm just like being annoyed because I know that people like snap a picture of me kind of sneakily (laughs) yeah 
And uh, yeah, and I think uh, a lot of photographers and journalists, especially traveling to like third world countries or to developing countries, they kind of misuse this. Yeah, they just like photograph people without really um, paying attention to their feelings because, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you go somewhere and then you just snap pictures like children playing in the dirt or some homeless people. Yeah. A lot of tourists and journalists do that and without really thinking. Because I think in Europe, they would always, very often would face consequences. And in Germany, for example, if I would photograph somebody on the street, it happened to me that people would be like, did you take my photograph? Please delete it now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in, in India, you somewhere, I can imagine like if in some slums, like people wouldn't really... Like, you know, they wouldn't sue you and you know it, uh, not you particularly, but just anyone. Yeah. So I think a lot of people can really misuse this power they have, the power of a white person. <laughs> yeah, I think. yeah, definitely. And I think there's um, there's a bit of a trend of like photographing, um, you know, like you said, kids in, in poverty, kids with no shoes on, kids with no pants on and, mm-hmm. and then taking that home to your, you know, white upper class audience and displaying this picture like look this is India this is what India is all about look at this Mm -hmm. kid when that's like you know a very narrow view of of what India is and this child is obviously in a very difficult and desperate situation and it's not fair for you to go up to them and to essentially exploit them by photographing them without their permission or the the family's permission Mm -hmm. and obviously in some NGO situations where you have the permission of the NGO and you're there to to eventually help these people that's that's obviously very acceptable and that's the job of professional NGO photographer but as a tourist I don't think this is the right thing that you should you should be photographing you should be photographing um, people as they would like to be seen and and showing the 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 country in a way that really represents what it is well this is actually my kind of next question um like a follow-up on what you just said like in your work i i look like i really admire uh, the colors the the people you photograph those like great smiles and uh, you you seem to connect with people really great because all your portraits are always like so full of life and uh i oh, I, I still feel like you always show the beautiful side of travel in those countries and um, nevertheless, I mean, you travel to to India, Nepal, I mean, countries which are also, they have also like the, this kind of side of poverty and female rights abuse and uh, all those mm-hmm. kind of bad news we hear about them. But you don't show that in your work. Uh, mm-hmm. Why did you actually decide to concentrate on the positive side only, if that is like an appropriate question to ask? Well, thank you for the nice compliments. Um, I think that's an interesting question. I think as a photographer, you, I, I want to show the world as I see it. And I hope that my work will show other people what I see and how I see the world. And I see these places, as, as you said, in, in colour, as beautiful places, full of life and full of energy and these amazing cultures which have survived for centuries. And that's what I want to show. Um, and there is obviously a lot of issues in in these countries and that's the job of a journalist or somebody who has a very in-depth position to show those things but I want I think that there's two sides to these countries when you hear about India you do hear about the women's rights the the difficulty of being a traveler there and the poverty and things like that but India also has this huge historical cultural landscape which is so alive and there's so many things there which we can learn from 
uh, as Westerners. And um, I would like to show these, the beauty in these places, the positivity in these places, show what the religions, show the, dif- the different sides of India. And I hope that my work can offer a different side of the conversation to work that other photographers are doing, which is also amazing and really, really important work into things like the poverty and the the women's rights situations in India. I think we have to show both sides. And the side that I'm showing in my work at the moment is is the positive side and the cultural side. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes, that totally makes sense. And yeah. I kind of agree with you because I feel I feel um, there always should be a balance, but it's not a responsibility of every single person to show all 360 mm-hmm. degrees of a country or a person or of a particular yeah place uh, I remember always um, I mean okay it's a controversial director but like we're talking about uh, if you talk about like Woody Allen movies a lot of people criticize why he always makes um, movies about like this rich middle-class white people and uh, uh, and why is not he like showing um, you know like if he's going to Barcelona and like shooting Vicky Cristina Barcelona why not also show the problems and stuff and it's always uh, kind of funny to to hear this kind of accusations uh, because you know as an artist you still choose a particular topic to concentrate on and you cannot like show everything and uh, okay that was probably <laughs> a bad uh, a bad example uh, because it's obviously like it's, it's cinema and it's like creative uh, decisions but it's the same probably about photography yeah, yeah. Or, uh, because if we're uh, there there are other photographers who are concentrating only on the negatives and then mm-hmm. of course um, yeah we always need this kind of balance and probably if two mm-hmm. different photographers shows different sides of a place it's mm-hmm. uh, it's probably will show a much more balanced picture than if only one person will show like one side and another and we don't see the other side at all. When I look at your portraits, uh, I'm I'm really happy to see all those people uh, in a very happy place. So they're really smiling and laughing at the pictures. I was like mm-hmm. scrolling through pictures of people in India and Nepal on your trips, and you can see that these are people who don't probably have a lot. They are mm-hmm. in what in our understanding is like poor, but they're laughing they're smiling they're enjoying their life despite probably not having a lot of money and this is something mm-hmm. which a lot of westerners um yeah they they should definitely learn to be really satisfied with the little uh, you have and this is probably a very very positive side of your photography which i really enjoy uh just to see really yeah. uh, those kind of people who who would objectively are not probably uh are not supposed to be laughing but they are because um yeah happiness is in little things probably yeah definitely and I think these people that do live in you know these maybe very remote rural villages that don't have a lot and like like you said we would perceive them as maybe being in poverty but actually they have you know enough to eat enough for the whole family to eat this is not an issue for them they just don't have a tv or a mobile phone or this kind of thing but they also don't have stress they don't have crazy busy lives um they're much more connected to to the earth to their ancestors to their cultural background to their history and um, they often do a lot more cultural activities like um painting and arts and weaving and things like that so they just have a completely different way of seeing life and i think we can learn a lot from from these people and and i think this lockdown has kind of shown people that this this uh, crazy busy stressful culture that we've built built up is not essential to our lives and when when we break it down and when we don't have those things anymore 
we have all of this extra time to actually focus on things which maybe we are passionate about and take time to make good food and and things like that and this is the way that people are living all around the world so I think we all we all feel a bit more um, relaxed in a way yeah I definitely feel uh, I f- I feel relaxed for the few like mo- for a month and then yeah. I started thinking like oh what are what are the next projects I should be working on yeah. I have I, I felt like I procrastinate too much and mm-hmm. uh, this is also probably a negative thing uh, about living in this current this um, busy um yeah, Europe or Western society, basically, because you're always feeling like you have to achieve more that you have to, like, you know, ambitions is key. And like, you have to, to be the best, you have to do more stuff, you have to work more. I mean, people are bragging about having burnouts, like it's a good thing. Well, probably, I mean, obviously, it's not. And I think now a lot of people are learning that there's so much more to this life than uh, achieving and uh, earning millions. Yeah, and then we try and like, um, put our western western ideas and western values on these cultures which have these simple and um, very happy ways of life and because we think that it's better in some way but maybe we should actually think about it ourselves and is this actually better the way that we're living compared to the way the way some people are living I, I think I really, know. I really think that to each its own. I mean, of course, we grew up in this kind of society, so for us, it would be really hard to go to downshift mm. like that. I mean, it's definitely yeah. would be really, really hard because you always, uh, you always see everything in comparison. And of course, if you had your life, which is was uh, filled with the perks of the modern civilization, then it would be really mm. hard to go to the, uh, I don't know, like having a toilet outside and no running water and probably go like to school for four hours every day, like bare feet, mm-hmm. that would be definitely not uh, a thing I would want for me or my children. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah I, I, can totally, uh, I can totally imagine uh, how your perspective changes when you see other people living totally different and happy lives yeah. without gadgets and Instagram likes and uh, without all the uh, yeah, filters and uh, technologies. <laughs> I would like to talk business uh, to you a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of young photographers uh, who just started their uh, career or maybe they they uh, are working on their portfolio and they would like to uh, earn their living with photography. And um, you are a person who, a photographer who, uh, you work a lot with different magazines and newspapers. Uh, and uh, how do you actually find your jobs? Uh, do you work uh, with a particular agency or do you approach uh, editors from magazines directly? I mean, how did you find your first jobs and how, how does it work for you now? I mean, obviously outside the Corona times. I don't have an agent or anything. I don't think this is that common in travel photography to work with an agency. I, yeah, I, it either happens when I get a client, they either come to me or I approach them so it can happen in both ways and I think especially in the last year before coronavirus I was also getting work through recommendations so like someone at one company that I'd worked with and knew somebody at another company and they were looking for a travel photographer and they would recommend me so the more that you work this is how things work as well I think your name just kind of gets flown around a little bit um, which is really good I think the most important thing though especially for young photographers is you need to build a really strong portfolio before you start um, working and mm-hmm. approaching clients. Um, and this is a big, I think it's a big barrier to the industry because you have to essentially fund this yourself. And, you know, I spent a lot of years traveling and 
working in bars or I was teaching English a little bit in Asia and then just shooting as much as possible and building my portfolio. And that's what enabled me to then start to build an actual career where I was actually making money as a travel photographer. Mm-hmm. That's how I get get my my jobs, I think. So do you, uh, my question was also, do you actually still like approach editors of the magazines or do you usually get requests from them? Mm. I would normally get a request from them. I think mm-hmm. now is more common. at the beginning. I would approach them. I think as a photographer, though, you are not so much pitching stories because generally the writer would pitch a story and then you would be tagged along as a photographer. Mm-hmm. So usually, will have like a, road, a roster of photographers that they work with, and then when a writer will come forward with a story, they will like try and match the photographer to that writer and to that story. Um, so that's generally, I think, how that works. Yeah, and then with commercial clients, I think it's um, I get more repeat work from commercial clients. So they will like, I will, I will do one job for them, and then they'll hire me again and again. And that's generally how I get the the bulk of my work throughout the year. Okay, but now yeah. that's- <laughs> I think th- I think this is this is some really great insights because I mean I'm I'm also constantly asked about how I get my jobs and personally uh, I I'm a bad example of hustling because I'm really bad at approaching uh, people but usually uh, clients approached me also because of my Instagram uh, because you know like since I started growing on Instagram then more and more companies approached me with requests and with different uh, commissions and that of Mm -hmm. course helped but uh, personally like if I would right now want to to actually uh, start like find new clients or uh, set my foot into a like, I don't know, like in the magazine business, I would be like even lost because I've never actually written a, a letter to an editor, I think. Yeah. Uh, that never happened to me. So I think it's actually very helpful, uh, yeah, to, uh, to many people who would like to uh, get um, into the business, into the travel photography business. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I don't have a, like a huge Instagram following. So at the beginning, I couldn't really rely on this to get me the work. So at, at the beginning, I really pushed myself to send a lot of emails to different companies I would want to work with and different magazines. Mm-hmm. And then slowly that would start evolving into work and into repeat work. Nowadays, social media is also like obviously one avenue to take you into travel photography. And then the other one, and probably the more traditional one, is is more what I've taken. Um, and I think that's probably, I probably followed what photographers were doing 10, 20 years ago, whereas I think the, the more modern way to do it now is is to build your social media following and then do it through that through that way. Yeah, well, I think uh, I was talking about it with my uh, other guest. Um, I recall that you know it, you you build your uh, social media following usually when you follow some particular social media rules. If you look on yeah. Instagram, like your Instagram is a refl- is a hundred percent reflection of your style. But at the yeah. same time, those people who are this kind of, um, you know, like Instagram influencers who are also yeah. into travel photography, then you notice like this repetitive patterns of this uh, Instagram style that really like being popular on Instagram and relying on likes and growing your following, it really changes the way you see the world and this, the way you actually like compose your picture. And that can be yeah. like, of course, also negative because all these pictures become the same because obviously there are particular things which work, 
on social yeah. media, which gain more likes and more attention. And a lot of people are, of course, like falling for that because that brings commercial clients and that brings uh, money. So that yeah. is uh, probably a downside of uh, building your social media following. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I see that so much. And I think a few years ago, I was kind of at a, a place where I was like struggling a bit to get work and things. And I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should just start taking these kind of pictures and maybe this will this will work for me but I think also I've had since I started taking photos I've always had this really strong vision of what I'm inspired by and the kind of pictures that I want to take and that's always been around people and and culture um which are pictures that do not do well on Instagram in general <laughs> no but I mean you, you still that. have uh, you still have a great engagement I mean it's not uh, yeah it, it just means that there are a lot of people on Instagram we shouldn't like also Think that Instagram is just one particular uh, style. I mean, this is well what Bell Collective is about is also to show that there are yeah. so many women who are not going uh, following this kind of Instagram rules and they just mm -hmm. don't uh, take selfies all the time or you mm -hmm. know they don't follow this kind of uh, they're not Instagram models but actually creators like you or mm -hmm. any other photographer in our book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm uh, by the way. I'm really glad that you were a part of the Bell Collective book. And uh, I've uh, had, like, I was talking to people about the book and uh, everybody was, like, mentioning your name as well because, you're oh, such a, yeah, like, uh, like, there's so many compliments uh, about the particular, yeah, like, about the style. And I'm, I'm so glad, actually, we, uh, like, this book was published. Uh, so thank yeah, you very much for participating. So nice. <laughs> oh, thanks for asking me. It's such a nice book. I can't read it, unfortunately, because I cannot read German, but all of the pictures are amazing and I found... I like found so many new photographers through looking through the book and being like, wow, I never found that that person's work before. Yeah. It is very unfortunate that still there's not that many women photographers, uh, like mm -hmm. travel photographers who are, you know, that there are a lot of photographers I know who would love to do their own thing, but sometimes they're really not um, courageous enough to just do what they want because obviously this kind of Instagram algorithm is it kills um, those kind of individuality in you and as I said like if you want to become to to get like a, a following and an audience then you end up like doing probably the same pictures over and over again and mm. uh, this is why I think yeah. a lot of women just go the easy way because they see like oh this sells well and you know if I want to build a career and, and if I want to actually earn a living then I should probably do yeah. this particular thing yeah yeah I think that's definitely true and I definitely think there's more money maybe at the moment but I think in terms of the long term you have to be you know you have to feel like you're doing something that you actually want to shoot like you have to feel creatively inspired and in order to do that again and again and again and to do it over several years Mm -hmm. I think you actually have to shoot what you what you want to shoot and in the long term I think creativity will win and people that have made original work and that work that's actually says something about a, cu a culture and a, or a place rather than just says something about the fashion that you're wearing to stroll around some palace in whatever country I think that will that will uh, stand the test of time better the kind of work that actually has some some sort of a meaning or historical representation of a culture oh I really I really really hope so but yeah probably <laughs> the historical the historical representation of our current culture would be very very disappointing for the future generations <laughs> unfortunately uh, I have a few more questions about the uh, actually you being a female photographer 
Um, and I think like the, the whole idea of the podcast is like to talk to female photographers about their work. So um, uh, I've asked this before, uh, my other guests, and I would ask this, uh, I will ask you because uh, for me, it's also a very interesting and important question. Do you actually believe in a female gaze? And do you believe that female photography is somehow different from male and, uh, and why? Yes, I do think there is a female gaze. I think the thing that females have that do that makes them sort of a different photographer than, than men is a sensitivity and um, a less intimidating approach to photographing people. Um, and I see this a lot when I'm in places where maybe I there's another photographer, a male photographer. The way that I approach a person and the way that they might approach a person is so different. I think women have a lot more empathy to people's situations and men tend to be a bit quicker about getting the shot and very focused about how this reflects on their work whereas maybe I'm more concerned about making sure that the person is is comfortable but obviously there is there are male photographers who are also very empathetic and, and things like that so there's definitely a blur in the lines there but I think generally women yeah are more sensitive and less intimidating to people so I think you can sort of see that in a way in in portraits and in shooting people a lot of the places that I photograph so like India places like Morocco um, I just went to Ethiopia um, there is obviously restrictions around uh, men photographing women so that can also help a woman photographer but then that's a kind of a different question because that's mm -hmm. more about what women choose to shoot or what women have access to shoot rather than the way that they are shooting But this is actually a great uh, question as well, because I, uh, or not question, but a great statement as well on, it, on its own, because I think really the race of uh, female photojournalists uh, and mm -hmm. uh, female photographers all, uh, all together, it just opens the whole new world of topics which were not covered before because yeah. men did not have like simply interest in photographing those topics. They didn't have any... Um, They didn't have an approach, like they, they were forbidden to uh, do particular things and they didn't, they were not just sensitive enough to photograph particular things because they, not because they're evil, but just because they're men and they had no idea how it is to be a woman and topics yeah. of, I don't know, childbirth and, and uh, abuse, they were not mm -hmm. as close to their hearts. A lot of stories that, which are female centered, they were not portrayed in the history in the like last like 50 or 100 years of uh, photojournalism and mm -hmm. uh, we always like saw mostly like men-centered stories rather than female-centered stories because the photographers were mostly men and uh, yeah yeah definitely and that's slowly changing I think now we see more um, female photographers who have sort of longer careers and uh, are more picked up by these big magazines and things so this is why you're um, going to uh, get a master degree in documentary photography because you also want to tell those kind of stories more, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. so is, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a really great uh, um, story <laughs> and this is a really great um, yeah, uh, thing to know that there will be yet another great photographer who will be covering more stories about women. Um, just one last question, I think before, uh, I don't know if I will squeeze it in. Um, somewhere in between or probably those this will be not the last question at all uh, okay. my last question would be have you actually encountered gender bias in your work or in your personal and uh, life 
uh, while traveling or maybe in England? I mean, uh, did you have encounters where you felt uncomfortable or discriminated because of your gender? I think one of the things that I've noticed um, a lot in my work is that I'm taken less seriously as a photographer. Uh-huh. Um, something which I find quite frustrating. And I think you have to become, in a way, quite a strong bossy woman even though that's not my nature just to kind of like tell people that you're serious and this is actually you're actually good at what you do because a lot of people don't seem to take you that seriously I've met men uh, like when when I've been in places photographing and they don't know anything about me but they will try to tell me how to photograph a certain situation Oh yeah, and that happened like, to all of us, I guess. Like this, or like you can move your tripod like this, or like look how I'm taking this, and then maybe you get talking to them, and then I realize that they realize that I'm much more experienced than them, but they just assumed that because I was a a young woman that I didn't know what I was doing. So this is a uh, frustrating, and I think it's still very. You still see a lot more male photographers, especially when you're traveling, than than female photographers with like big cameras and stuff people are obviously taking it uh, seriously that's very unfortunate that happened to me yeah. quite a lot as well i mean i never really concentrated on those negative sides but then when yeah. you start when it happens to you on a constant uh, basis even this this yeah. kind of like little microaggressions when you like literally like i was i don't i don't remember i remember i was in istanbul and i was with a group of male photographers but i was actually the only probably professional photographer over there while mm-hmm. the others were basically just Instagrammers. And I remember I had the same camera. You know, I had the new camera, the, the this uh, Nikon D, uh, I don't remember, six, six, 610. And the guy mm-hmm. uh, had the same camera, but he still didn't ask. He asked all the guys about what they think about his camera and how he should photograph with it, even though they had no idea. And I had the same camera and then he didn't approach me, even though like I was trying to give him like uh, an insight because that was the camera I was using. But no, yeah. he approached all the guys on the team, like on in the group. Yeah. He was always like, what do you think? And what do you think about that? As if like, <laughs> just because they're men, they're more interested or more knowledgeable about a particular mm-hmm. camera or about a particular technical um Yeah, it was it was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, men's planning yeah. also happened quite a lot. Also with people who yeah. have no idea about photography, uh, mm-hmm. or basically who do have an idea about photography, but on a very uh, like amateur basis. Still, just yeah. because they're like forty something, fifty something year old uh, male, they think yeah, they own the world and own the world yeah. of photography. <laughs> yeah, I'm only twenty eight, so I'm still quite young in in the realm of photographers and I think one of the things that I've noticed is that there seems to be a drop-off in female photographers when you get to more like a more advanced level like in into your late 30s early 40s and that's obviously a wider issue about maternity and things like that so mm-hmm. I think have you read the uh, Lindsay Adario's book um it's why I do that's a really interesting um portrait about what happens when photographers start to have children and the way that they're treated and Um, I hope that this, our generation now going into that, will will see a different treatment and we'll, we will be able to continue our our careers and there will be more women of, a, of the next generation that are staying in photography and not dropping out of photography. Yeah, this is a particular topic which also concerns me a lot because I'm also mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm, um, I'm planning to have a 
children. Uh, and mm. this is always kind of like, I don't think that men really, um, Yeah, they don't worry about this. They don't worry about this kind of issues. Like, you know, like their career, uh, I'm not saying that their career always stands first, but they never see like having a child as a, as an obstacle for, for, for traveling yeah. or for going away for a month to do some particular assignment. And as a woman, you're not only facing with a personal choice, but you're also uh, facing this kind of society judgment. If you're a, photog a female photographer and you would go and photograph some war in the Middle East... Uh, yeah. you immediately would be faced with judgment like oh like whom did you leave your kids with well I don't know tv <laughs> like um yeah and um I personally also uh yeah I I still don't have a question uh, don't have an answer to uh how my life will go after uh if I get kids and mm -hmm. um I also noticed that a lot of photographers I know in their um like mid and late 30s and in their 40s mm -hmm. uh those who actually succeeded these are the women who chose not to have children. Exactly, yeah. And that's, of course, yeah, the question a whether, whether it's really then um, like a personal choice or they really sacrifice something. This is, a, I mean, this is a question to ask a particular woman, mm -hmm. of course. But um, yeah, I just noticed this kind of tendency that most women who are successful and succeeded, they are, they kind of like, need to make a choice still mm -hmm. and this is very unfortunate to know that in the 21st century we still have those kind of choices to make while men yeah. are basically free roaming <laughs> <clears throat> yeah yeah this is something that i've been thinking about a lot and um yeah and i have noticed a lot in people that are that have started having children that i follow on instagram and things like that about how their career completely changes and And then you start to realize, ah, oh, this is why there's no women that are 40 plus who are travel photographers. <laughs> Because it's very difficult to, to maintain a family and to maintain a, a career where you have to travel all the time. So generally, like, I don't want to finish on, the, on this sad note. I really hope that, um, <laughs> I really, really hope that uh, this will all change. And I think it's changing right now. And this is also yeah. very important topics which we are raising. And of course, if it still sounds like uh, it's... Um, it's unfair. I mean, it is, uh, we're still in this transitional period where we have our rights on paper, but there's still a lot of issues we should talk about mm -hmm. and talk about with men, talk about with other women mm -hmm. and talk about with our governments and, uh, change, uh, the, the things, um, the, the way the things are in order to have a great, great future for like all the humankind. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Anna, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, on this um, podcast. I'm really glad to uh, see um, yeah to uh, see more of your pictures in the future, and uh, I really really love your photographic style again. And I, I'm really really glad that you agreed to do this with me. I think thank we you. touched a lot of important topics which would interest a lot of our uh, audience, maybe young photographers who would be inspired by your work. I will leave all the links to your website uh, to also your magazine the Rome magazine we didn't talk about it much mm -hmm. but Anna also has uh, an online magazine which is called Rome magazine you should all check it out mm -hmm. uh, yeah I will leave it in the podcast notes so people know how to find your Instagram how to find your uh, website portfolio and also your magazine so thank you very much and bye-bye thank you so much <laughs> bye and it is a wrap thank you for listening till the end of our Bell Collective podcast 
This was a very informative and cool interview for me. I definitely got inspired to travel to India now and I was really happy to hear Anna's thoughts about gender issues in professional photography branch. I'm looking forward to speaking to more inspiring women in the podcasts to come, so please subscribe, tell a friend about Bell Collective and stay out of the box.